Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. So again, welcome to our 11 a.m. service. We are continuing again after last week's absence with All Song Sunday. We're continuing in the book of Matthew. And we're in Matthew chapter chapter 5 today. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. We're going to be in uh, uh, an area of Scripture called the Beatitudes. Are you familiar with the Beatitudes? That's the first 12 verses, basically, of, of Matthew. And Jesus, uh, Jesus is introducing us into a, a long, extended sermon that he's going to give. It's going to be through chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew. So we're going to be on the mountain for, for a while, uh, listening to Jesus. And he starts off with his Beatitudes. My wife reminded me that back when we had a Christian bookstore, we sold those precious moments figurines. Remember those little precious moments figurines? We had literally hundreds of them. We were one of the biggest stores in the Detroit metropolitan area that had these little figurines. And they had a series that came out around Christmas time called the Beatitudes. And they were little sun catchers little catchers that you could put in the window or you could put on your tree as a Christmas ornament. And they were based on the Beatitudes. You know, one was uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, um, blessed are the humble, blessed are the merciful. And they were all the, the Beatitudes. So today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take you through all of the Beatitudes, all 12 of them. And I'd like you to not think of the Beatitudes based on everything that you've been taught. Because so often we spiritualize the Beatitudes, which is fine. There's an opportunity to spiritualize Beatitudes. But at the same time, we, we want to make sure that we understand who Jesus is talking to and the opportunity that he is presenting to them. Okay? So kind of like clear your mind and like hear these for the very first time. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And we'll begin in verse number 1. And seeing the multitudes... He, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 10 continues, and Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice! And be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if you take a look at these blessings in total, and that's why they're in your bulletin and we had them on the screen. If you take a look at them in total, they're, they're relatively easy blessings to see. They're, they're relatively easy. These are, now, the word blessing means that it's, it's a blessing from God. A blessing from God. God is the one that truly blesses us. You know, in some of the, uh, in some of the versions of your Bibles, it, it gives blessings. But instead of blessings, it says happy. Happy are those. Well, that's, a, that's okay, but you can get happy if your dog licks your face. But th these are blessings. God, Jesus is giving blessings. And 
I wanted you to take a look at these, these blessings today from God um, with, a, with a fresh mind, not with some preconceived ideas of what the spiritualization is for it. And when we take a look at them at face value, actually, they're pretty easy to understand, right? Pretty easy to understand. In fact, there are many things that are easy to understand, but then we have to be careful because when you really think about it, we really know very little about it. One of the examples I give is flying. Most of us have taken a flight. Almost all of us have taken a flight somewhere, right? We've gone from Orlando to Atlanta. Maybe you've traveled across the ocean, gone to London, or you've gone to Asia or to Australia. You've taken a flight, so you are experts in flying. You know what it means to get on a plane, how to buy a ticket, how to board a plane, and, and how to face the fat in your seatbelt, right? So you know these things. But do you understand aerodynamics? You don't. Uh, you, you don't understand lift and drag and thrust. You know, it was Orville and Wilbur Wright just 150 years ago that finally introduced us to the ability to, to fly. And they, flied, they flew something for like 38 yards for nothing more, no more than 18 feet off the ground. But that was the first time that man fully understood, or at least tried to understand, this concept of aerodynamics. My old employer, uh, the auto company, employs aerodynamics as well, even though they make automobiles, because automobiles have an aerodynamics to them. And they try to design the automobile so that it has less drag and it has becomes more fuel efficient. Uh, so, we, so we can say on the surface, we certainly understand flying, but we don't understand aerodynamics. Uh, and we don't understand the benefits, the blessings, the blessings that are associated with understanding the aerodynamics. We understand it at the surface level, and I think that's similar to these Beatitudes. Often, we understand it at the surface level, but we, we need to dig a little deeper. So we'll do that today. So let's start at the beginning. Matthew says, and seeing the multitudes, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And it says, seeing the multitudes. If you remember just a, a few weeks ago, uh, we were reading in Matthew chapter 4, and we said that Jesus went about all of Galilee, remember? And he was preaching and healing and teaching. That was my, the type of my, my title of my sermon. You know, preaching and teaching and healing. That's what he was, he was doing. And he was, he was healing them. And they were coming from the whole area. They were coming from Syria and Decapolis and all, all over the area. And this was a combination. It was a mixed multitude, both Gentiles as well as Jews. Now, what did this multitude have in common? This is the multitude that followed him on the mountain. What did they have in common? Well, the one thing they had in common is they were all relatively poor. They were all hurting. It says that they were the six people. They were afflicted with various diseases. They were demon-possessed, some epileptic, some were paralyzed. This is who Jesus had gathered. These were the people that came. It wasn't the religious elite. It wasn't the wealthy. It wasn't the bankers. It wasn't the people that had money that followed Jesus on the hill. These were people that the one thing they had in common is they were looking for something new. And Jesus was the real McCoy. He was different than the other religious leaders. He, the other religious leaders would talk about the law of Moses. They would talk about how far you could walk on a Sabbath day, for example, without violating God, or how to tithe mint and vegetables and, and spices from your garden, how to, to properly tithe that. But Jesus was different. He didn't teach like the others. And this is how Matthew is framing this story. 
This is the, the multitude. This is the, the people that are, that are coming to him. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll be in it in chapters 5, 6, and 7. Now, many people think that Jesus perhaps went to the mountain to actually remove himself from the multitudes, to get away from the crowd. Now, Jesus would do that to pray, but not to teach. He had his disciples sitting at his feet, and they said, well, it's really his disciples that he's teaching. It isn't the people. It's really his disciples. But you see, the problem with that is that we have, we, have, uh, we, have, we have the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It goes until chapter 7, and in chapter 7 it says this. It says, and so it was when Jesus had ended these teachings, the people were astonished, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. This is not the disciples talking. This is the multitude. They were listening to Jesus. They were hanging on every word, and it's important to understand who Jesus is talking to. Because if you don't understand who Jesus is talking to, you're going to miss the point. There is a point to what Jesus is doing. This is the beginning of his sermon. He's going to be teaching chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. But he starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. You know, the disciples would sit close by Jesus, and they often do this, and they would ask him, be able to ask him questions. Remember, we've read this in some of the Gospels. The, Jesus would give a parable, for example, and the people would walk away, and the, Jesus, the, the disciples would come to Jesus and say, would you explain that parable to us? You see, Jesus had his inner circle, and they could ask him questions. But this is not what he's doing here. He's, he starts off, and he says, it, 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 it begins by saying that he opened his mouth. Now, people have asked me a question, what does that mean? Well, that's kind of like saying, here's the microphone. That's kind of what opens his mouth means. It means they, they prepared, he was preparing to speak. Pastor Hal always tells me he doesn't need a microphone because he can project. Jesus could project. And the way he projected is he would open his mouth and he would be able to speak to the, to the crowd. So this is, this is what it says. Let's go through this group by group. The first, the first group, the first three, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, remember, I told you, please try to listen, but without spiritualizing what it says. Just look at the words, what they mean. Maybe, Pastor Ken, maybe the words today mean something different than they did back in the days of Jesus. Maybe it means something different for those that were poor in spirit or those that mourn or those that are meek. No, it, it basically means the same thing today that it did back then. These are characteristics of an unfortunate group of people, a truly unfortunate group of people, because they were poor. Now, I realize that some people said, no, no, Pastor Ken, it doesn't say that they're poor. It says they're poor in spirit. It means two different things. Well. Thank you very much, but I, I beg to differ because in the Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, which is the Sermon on the Mount as well, and the Beatitudes as well, in Luke chapter 4, it says, it says, blessed are the poor. It doesn't say the poor in spirit. It just says the poor. So the poor are included as well. The idea of being poor in spirit is basically that. You don't have any choices. You don't have any choices in life. You see, the fortunate group that were the multitude were the servants, the people that attached themselves to somebody else. They were slaves. They were servants. They had a roof over their head, and they had three square meals a day. Now, they worked 14 hours a day. They worked seven days a week, but they were the fortunate ones. 
The other ones, you see, there was no social security, there was no health care, there was no medical plans. So if you fell down and broke a leg, you were out of work. And if you were out of work, you did not eat. These are the people that came to Jesus. They were the unfortunate ones. They were the poor in spirit. They were the ones that were mourning. They were the ones that were meek. Um, this, this word, by the way, um, blessed are, like I said, sometimes it's translated as happy, but it's, it's really to be blessed by God. The, the word in Greek is makarios, and makarios to, is to extend the blessings or extend something to someone else. God extends a blessing, and this is what Jesus is doing. He's talking to the multitude, and he's saying, blessed are you. Not will you be, but blessed are you. There's something about their present condition that makes them ready, that makes them prepared, that gives them a blessing that's not being extended necessarily to the people in Jerusalem. It isn't being extended to the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's being a blessing extended to, to them. So let's, let's go on. Um, poor in spirit, those who mourn, meek. Now, the question is, do these words mean something different now than they did then? No. They mean basically the same thing. Poor in spirit refers to those that are humble. And the primary reason they're humble is because they're, they're poor. They have very little conditions. They look at their life and they realize that the life 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the life for their children is not going to be much different than it is today. It's going to be basically the same. The, the same thing with those that are mourning. Okay, is mourning being happy? No, but it says, blessed are you who mourn. Now we know what mourning is, right? When somebody mourns, we go to comfort them. Why do people mourn? Well, the common reason that people mourn is when somebody dies. It's not only when somebody dies, but also when something terrible happens in your life. Maybe you've lost a job. On 9-11, I was living in Florida, and I saw the reports like you did of 9-11. I saw the towers came down, and I had worked in Manhattan. I knew those towers. I had taken the path back and forth from Jersey to New York, and I mourned like you did, because there was this, this horrible loss. We, we mourn when we're robbed, when we're beat up, when we're abused. But Jesus says there's a blessing that's now for those that mourn. It, it says, blessed are those who, who me that are meek. Now, this word meek could be also translated as gentle, which is probably a very good translation. One of the things that you read is that one way that this word could be applied is to a, to a horse, to a horse that's powerful. 800-pound horse that's now been broken. And the horse is useful because it's been broken. It is now meek. It takes command. It does what the owner has. My, my, my daughter and my wife were both equestrians. They both rode. And my daughter was probably no more than 85 pounds, and she had a 700-pound horse. And she would lead it about by the bridle, and the horse would go where it, she told it to do because it had been broken. Jesus is saying, blessed are you that are are broken. You're meek. Blessed are you. You know, this is the slaves are broken. That's a, they're, 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 they're broken because they have no other choice. They have to do what their master says. Even a slave that's six foot three and has muscles rippling because he works all day long. He's been broken. 
and he's, he's meek. So I grouped these three together because we need to consider the audience that Jesus was talking to. This was a multitude that had these characteristics, and Jesus is telling them something. Jesus is, came to preach the gospel of the kingdom, and who did Jesus choose to reveal this to? It was these people. They were the first ones that got the good news of the kingdom. Jesus is the Messiah, the one that was promised for 2,000 years. And Jesus is arriving on the scene, and he says, I've got news for you, and I'm, you're the first ones to be told. And blessed are you because you're hearing this now. So there's something about what they, they have. This, this blessing belongs to them. They're the first. And, you know, if you take a look at history, this has been true of the church. After the Acts of the Apostles, when the church was growing in Europe and, and Asia and all through the known world, who were the people that were attracted to the gospel? It was the same people. It was the people that were meek, that were poor of spirit, that were humble, that were gentle, that were broken, people that had a desire for God and had really no other options. No other options. The early church had slaves in it, and it had men and women and people. It was a mixed multitude. People, the one thing they had in common is that they were hungry. They were hungry for the gospel, and that comes up with this, this next group as well. Let's go on. Verses 6 through 9. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, if you take a look at these as a group, these are a different group of beatitudes. There's something different about these because these have to do with a, an attitude, a characteristics that's different than the first part. You see, the first part was about how others see you, poor in spirit, mourning, weak. There, this, however, is about inner qualities. Something that's different about the person. These are inner qualities, deep qualities, character qualities. In fact, what they describe is a godlike passion, a godlike characteristic. Just and the thing is, is that this godlike passion translates itself for like those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have you ever been hungry? I mean, really hungry. Have you ever been thirsty? Really thirsty. It, it drives you. It drives you. The only thing you can think about is, is, is hunger. I remember my wife and I were coming back from like a 22-hour a trip down south. We went down to Texas, and we stayed there too long, and I had to get back to work, and we're driving. And, and we're just driving. The only thing we had time for was to get gas because we had to get, stay back on the road. And I got so hungry that all I could think about was something to eat. I had to have something to eat, and I'm looking through the, I'm looking through the, uh, the, the, the side arm and I'm looking through the glove box, looking to see if there's anything that maybe the kids had left, or maybe somebody had left behind, maybe even a stick of gum, anything that I could possibly eat. I was driven, and this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that these people that have these passions, these godlike passions, they will be filled. They'll obtain mercy. They'll be called sons of God. They will see God. This is why Jesus says they're, they're blessed. Let's focus just for a moment on one of these characteristics, those that are merciful. It says those that are merciful will obtain mercy. This is, a, this is a spiritual characteristic. It really is. To show mercy is to be like God. Blessed are the merciful, so they obtain mercy. Who do we show mercy towards? We show mercy towards people that are unfortunate, people that need mercy, that need a, a blessing. 
need a, a handout, right? Jesus gave the sermon of the, he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan was one that had compassion on the man that was half dead. He had mercy on him. And it wasn't just that he, it wasn't they just gave him a couple dollars to go spend at McDonald's. He, do, he didn't just help him fix a flat tire. I mean, those are the things we think of as a good Samaritan. He, he went out of his way. I mean, he went way out of his way and extended mercy to this person. And Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful because they themselves will receive mercy. We show mercy towards those who, that are weaker and poor. We come alongside those who weep and mourn. We are merciful because we forgive others as we know that God has forgiven us. This, these are spiritual qualities. And as a, as a result, we bring peace. We restore harmony in this world. These are God-like qualities. Let's go on. Verses 10 through 12, the last three verses. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Falsely. <laughs> Not rightly, okay? I mean, if you, get, if you act like a jerk, you deserve what you get. But Jesus is saying if they persecute you falsely because of what you believe or because of whose you are, blessed are you. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is speaking to these people that he's introducing the kingdom of God to. And he's saying, remember, you're going to be persecuted, but you'll be blessed. And he's associating your persecution and what you're going to go through as what the prophets went through. Isaiah, Nehemiah, Obadiah. These people were persecuted. They were persecuted by their own people and they were persecuted by Babylonians and the Romans. They were persecuted by others. And Jesus said, blessed are you. You know, now when Jesus is saying this, remember I said before that he's speaking to the multitudes, which he is. He's speaking to the multitudes because he's announcing the kingdom of God. But at the same time, when he's saying this here, I think he's looking down at his disciples. And he's saying, be sure you get this. Be sure you get this because they, all of them, will face persecution. You know, all of the early apostles, all of the early disciples faced martyr's death with just a, a few exceptions. They were, they were killed. They were killed by swords. They were, they were stoned to death. They, they had their head chopped off. I mean, they were persecuted. And Jesus said, blessed are you. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. You know, Jesus turns his attention to these final attributes as the world's response to the gospel. He's saying, this is the gospel, I'm presenting it to you first, but here's the world's response. They will persecute you. They will persecute you for righteousness' sake. They will persecute you for the sake of Jesus, for being my follower. You see, it's not only Jesus that the world hates. It's actually you. The people that follow Jesus. Those are the people that the world hates. And Jesus says that the world, while the world doesn't give rewards for being poor in spirit, for meek and humble and gentle, he's providing blessings. He's providing blessings and rewards. Even though the world doesn't acknowledge you, I acknowledge you. These are character rates. These are spiritual virtues. These are spiritual virtues. So I want you to put your virtues head on again because we're going to go back to the first three. Those that were poor in spirit, those that mourn, and those were meek. And we're going to take a look at what the spiritual virtues are of this. Because if, if Jesus is giving this blessing to the people, he's getting their attention, but it's not just because they're poor in spirit, right? 
I mean, isn't there something else they need to do? How, don't they need to reach out? I mean, Jesus is reaching out to them, but isn't it those who believe? First John, John says, as many as received him, to them he gave the ability to become children of God. You need to receive Christ. So they're, they're, ripe, they're ripe and they're ready, but there's a spiritual connection with these first three Beatitudes. And while we didn't spiritualize them before, I want you to get on your spiritual side. To be poor in spirit is to recognize your utter spiritual bankruptcy before God. You see, these people were poor in spirit because they knew they had no opportunity. That's true also with God. But God is reaching down, and the poor in spirit understand that it's not about them. It's all about God. And God is reaching out, and all you need to do is receive that gift. Because of their spiritual bankruptcy, they realize there's nothing that they can do to merit the kingdom of heaven. They can't possibly be good enough. They can't be righteous enough. They can't follow the laws of Moses enough. They can't sacrifice enough. They have to reach out to God and let God do for them what they can't possibly do for themselves. There's a Catholic priest, Brennan Manning. I don't know if you've ever read the book Ragamuffin Gospel. It's, a, it's an amazing book. It's, the book is still around. It was probably written 25 years ago. And it talks about, uh, Brendan Manning talks about in the Ragamuffin Gospel how Jesus ministered to the ragamuffins. And the ragamuffins were the sick, the tax collectors, the sinners, the woman caught in adultery. They, they were in this condition. They were lowly. And Jesus was able to reach down. And Brendan Manning says that we're all ragamuffins. We're all begging bread from the master. And that's the idea about being poor in spirit, is we're just beggars because God has it and we need it and we ask for it. Let's go on. Those who mourn. Mourning is a spiritual value as well because people can mourn and grieve over their own sin and the lost in the world. Just as you felt a mourning when you saw 9-11 and you mourn for the tragedy. Sometimes we look at the world and we realize that how tragic it is. People are living lives that are completely disconnected from God when it's only God that can truly save them. And people that mourn for their own lost condition as well as those that, that are apart from God are blessed because they, they mourn. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. The spiritual, the spiritual virtue of meekness is humility towards God. Humility towards God. It's one thing to be humble, right? I'm, <laughs> it's nice to be humble, but at the same time, you need to be humble before God and realize that everything good that you have actually comes from God. This, this virtue, by the way, is something that is difficult for pastors. I got to tell you. It's difficult for pastors because every pastor that I know that's had any success at all, they stand before a pulpit and whether they attract a crowd of 50 or 500, people will come to them and say, oh, pastor, I'm so glad that you're here because we, we finally get the gospel. And it, I love it the way that you articulate the words of God. And I'm learning so much from you. And thank you so much, pastor. And all of a sudden we start feeling that it's something that we've done and not what God has done in us. We need to be meek. We need to understand that, that starting to feeling too proud of ourselves starts to puff us up. And when we're puffed up, we're really not good for anything. Jesus can deal with us when we're meek, this spiritual humility, so that God can, God can use us. You know, the Apostle Paul put it this way in his epistle to the Ephesians in chapter 4. 
The Apostle Paul says this. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. I love that. He doesn't say, I, the great Apostle Paul. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with another, one another in, in love. You see, this meekness that Jesus is calling a blessing is actually a, a fruit of the Spirit. It's something the Holy Spirit gives you. It's a condition that you have in order to receive the gospel. At the same time, it's a condition that the God gives you as a fruit, enables you to be useful in the kingdom of God. Many, many times the world looks at meekness and they say, uh, the world looks at meekness and sees it as a sign of, of weakness. However, it's one of the primary characteristics of the Christian. This is how we as believers, as those who understand the kingdom of God, we that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, this is how we look at the Beatitudes. We understand it was an opportunity for this mixed multitude, but it's also an opportunity for us. The Beatitudes turn the world for this multitude upside down, and it should turn our world upside down as, as well. We are called to be different. We are called to be separated. Did you know, by the way, that's what holiness is? To be holy means to be separated. It means to be separated. God has called us, just like this multitude was the first to know. We now, 2,000 years later, are hearing the same words. We come to Jesus with the, in the same way, or as Brendan Manning says, as beggars, as ragamuffins ready to accept Jesus for what he offers, realizing it's nothing that we can do, it's only what he can do. Sometimes the Beatitudes are difficult to understand. One of the best ways that I put it is this. They're really the fruit of the Spirit. They're really the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 says this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the fruit of the Spirit, Jesus said, blessed are you. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You'll be comforted. You'll inherit the earth. You'll be satisfied. You'll see mercy. You shall see God, and you shall be called sons of God because of who God is and because of our condition. You've been listening to Amen. Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.